The Guardian. Hello, this is Brexit Means, The Guardian's weekly dispatch from increasingly topsy-turvy Brexit land. In this episode, a special look back at what exactly went wrong and why during that crucial lunch date between Theresa May and Jean-Claude Juncker. And hopefully a look forward at where on earth things might go from here. So, for anyone who slept through yesterday, the deadline set by the EU27 for the UK to make sufficient progress on the three key Article 50 issues of the financial settlement, citizens' rights and the Irish border, if it wants to move to phase two of Brexit talks, passed, and in fairly dramatic fashion. So what happened? After a weekend of frantic last-minute negotiations, Ireland, the EU27 and the British government had all signed up to an agreement, or at least a form of words, that they thought would be signed off on on Monday lunchtime. Confidence reigned supreme. But then the Northern Irish Unionists of the DUP, without whom, remember, the Prime Minister would not have a majority in Westminster, got wind of it, and they clearly didn't like it. Their leader, Arlene Foster, said her party couldn't possibly support any kind of arrangement that meant Northern Ireland would be leaving the EU on different terms to the rest of the UK. And shortly afterwards, May and Juncker appeared somewhat sheepishly to say there would, after all, be no deal today. Problem now, of course, is that Ireland and the EU27 are not going to back down from the position that they've approved, that there can be no hardening of the border between Northern Ireland and the Republic, and that that must be assured by continued regulatory alignment between the north and south of the island. Meanwhile, Scotland, Wales and London have all come out and said they'd like something of the special treatment that Northern Ireland might be getting. And hardliners in Theresa May's own Conservative Party have also come down firmly in support of the DUP. Mainly because regulatory alignment in Ireland, which in effect would leave Northern Ireland in something like the single market and the customs union, could make it difficult, if not impossible, to strike the bold free trade deals with the rest of the world that the Brexiteers see as one of the main points. Points of Brexit. Where does that leave us then? Well, just over a week from the EU summit on December the 14th and 15th, at which the EU27 are to decide whether or not sufficient progress has been made to move on to talks about a transition period and future trade, we are in something of a bind. The Prime Minister can't give the DUP what it wants, no border with mainland Britain, while at the same time ensuring Dublin also gets no hard border across the island of Ireland, while at the same time abiding by her own Brexit promise that Britain will leave the single market and the customs union. The three are simply incompatible. Whichever way she turns, someone is going to say no. Poor Theresa, one might almost be tempted to say. Still, if The Guardian's Brexit policy editor Dan Roberts and Brussels correspondent Jennifer Rankin can't untangle this unholy mess, no one can. Welcome to both of you. What a mess. Um, Let's begin um, with what actually happened, shall we? Um, Because it sounded quite illuminating. Jennifer, uh, I mean, you you weren't exactly in the room, I imagine. I'm told the menu was scallops, turbot and tart tatin. Um, But uh, I'm sure you were as good as there. Can you just kind of Talk us through roughly what happened through during the day. Well, it, it sounds as if um, Theresa May didn't have a great deal of time to enjoy the tart tatin and the other delights of the <laughs> commission table because, uh, in fact, her meeting with, with President Juncker was rather 
shorter than um, she might have expected. And she she arrived in Brussels um, and expectations uh, were, were riding high that there would be a deal by the end of the day. Donald Tusk had tweeted as much. He'd had a call from Leo Varadkar, the Irish prime minister, that things were things were looking good, that they'd they'd found a text and some some form of wording that both the UK and EU negotiators could sign off on. That had gone to the Irish cabinet at first thing on Monday morning. The message had been relayed to Brussels, all is looking good. And then it got to, to the lunch and it seemed to be going fine, an hour of talks between um, Jean-Claude Juncker and, and Theresa May. And, and then uh, it turned out that um, a, a call from Arlene Foster and uh, Theresa May had to uh, had to spend then was left alone for for two hours almost mm. to to try and patch up things with the DUP and uh, and and salvage a deal on that day. But it turned out that she couldn't do it, so um, she reconvened with Jean Claude Juncker and they decided that uh, they would have to try later on in the week. But time is now running out. I mean, what was the reaction in Brussels that must have been, I mean, I mean, I presumably people were somewhat taken aback. So there were a whole bunch of, of sort of diplomats and officials and the president of the European Commission basically left kicking their heels for a couple of hours. Yes, I think there was, there was certainly surprise. Uh, everyone was, was lined up and, and ready for this, uh, this deal to be announced. Jean-Claude Juncker had a statement or was going to make some kind of positive comment at the end of the meeting. Donald Tusk, the president of the European Council, he was ready to send the draft guidelines to EU diplomats to, to sort of in the, make the next step in the process towards moving on to talks about the future trade relationship. And then you had EU diplomats sitting in a, in a room in Brussels waiting for a briefing on this lunch between uh, <laughs> Theresa May and Jean-Claude Juncker. And the, the briefing never happened because the, uh, the lunch turned out to be far more complicated than, than anyone had thought. So, so I think that they were certainly surprised that... Um, that things took this turn, um, but but also it's worth saying that EU diplomats are trying to be sort of fairly diplomatic. They really want this deal to happen this week, and they and they still think it is within reach. And I think that's why you saw some very uh, warm language from from Jean Claude Juncker yesterday towards Theresa May. Mm. He he said she was a very tough negotiator, and obviously in in his in his book and knowing her domestic audience, that's high praise indeed. Right. Dan, with hindsight, was everybody right to be so confident that a deal had actually been done? And and why actually do you think the DUP did kick up? I mean, there are suggestions floating around this morning that, you know, they that they may have seen some kind of form of wording that wasn't necessarily the right one or, or maybe not the whole text of the agreement. Do you have anything more on that? Yeah, I mean, I think um, everybody uh, was right to be confident apart from uh, the British government because <laughs> the British government was sending very clear signals that it, it, it had everybody on side. I mean, you don't fly the prime minister out to Brussels. Don't forget, it's the first time she's directly led the negotiations mm. in this whole process. You don't put her right in the middle of the spotlight, um, walking in with a piece of paper, unless you think that that piece of paper is sort of worth what it's printed on. And it's... It, very quickly became apparent overnight that, well, and yesterday, that the DUP had not seen the final wording. Um, whether that's because the Brits changed it at the last minute, whether that's because the Brits took them for granted and didn't brief them properly, we probably never know. But I, I think 
I'm not normally that charitable to the British government at the best of times, but I think this was an almighty cock-up. I mean, it really, I mean, Juncker might say she's a very hard negotiator, but I mean, just a very poor negotiator, just because they, they've just made everything so much worse. Um, um, they led everybody up the garden path, and, and, and then it turned out that they did, you know, they didn't have what they claimed to have, which was that ability to make a deal. Um, so I'm, 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 I was sort of... Uh, <laughs> bamboozled briefly yesterday that then just sort of felt it was all a bit of a farce but the more I think about it the angrier I get because I just think that this is a shambles this mm. is not how um, any government let alone supposedly these these brilliant um, uh, Whitehall machine the civil servants that the world is envious of should be um, behaving. Yeah, yeah indeed. Uh, we are, though, I suppose now where we are, it is what it is. Jennifer, could, could you just run us through from the EU end, uh, the kind of nuts and bolts of the timing now? Uh, I mean, basically, how much time is left and what actually needs to be done uh, before the real deadline? Yes, well, that's the question. When is the real deadline? Because <laughs> we really are in the last chance saloon and Jean-Claude Juncker yesterday said this is the start of the very last round. He tried to put an optimistic gloss on what had happened. But um, we really do have a matter of, of days now to, to see this agreement um, emerge. And some suggest that, that's, that perhaps Friday is the final deadline, that it really needs to be agreed between the EU and the UK by the end of the week mm. in order to then um, forward it on to national capitals. You can then take a look at it before we go to an EU summit the f- at the end of the following week, which is the 14th and the 15th of December. And this is the summit re- which really this whole process is building up to when EU leaders will meet in Brussels, 27 of them, minus Theresa May, in order to decide whether the UK has made sufficient progress or not on the Brexit divorce deal that will then allow the talks to move on to trade. And we'd and, and many people had thought, of course, that the, the, that would all be decided pretty much by yesterday if the deal had gone ahead. But now we're, we're, we're waiting mm. for that, um, the, that final deal to emerge and, and, before and, it can go on to the summit. I mean, Ireland isn't the, or the border rather, isn't the only problem, is it? I mean, I, I understand there's, there, there's also issues around the, the, the European Court of Justice in the sort of the citizens' rights sec- segment of the, uh, of the Article 50 talks. Yes, that's right. So the ECJ has always been a, a, one of the most um, difficult issues of, of these talks. And there isn't full agreement there. But what the EU were looking for is, is sufficient progress, not a final agreement. And certainly EU sources yesterday or last night were suggesting that that Ireland was the, the outstanding sticking point, that, um, that it was really a domestic problem and that everything else in the words of one source, could have been solved in five minutes. Hmm. So they were sort of putting a um, putting a more sort of optimistic view on those um, by implication on those issues of citizens' rights and the European Court of Justice. But it is, um, but I think it will prove to be a difficult one to solve because the EU are very insistent that they want the court to play a role in underpinning uh, guaranteeing the rights of the the 3.5 million EU citizens in the UK. Uh, now, and they want that to continue well, in, you know, until the, throughout the lifetimes of these people. Whereas the UK had been looking to try and curtail the role of the European Court of Justice, possibly with a with a sunset clause mm. limiting it to to only five years. So I think that that discussion will certainly reemerge uh, in in the coming weeks, and uh, and it's the, the Irish issue is by no means the only sort of uh, problem issue and the stumbling block to these 
these talks going forward. Even if it is, for the time being, at least the biggest one. So, Dan, I mean, where where does the Prime Minister go from here? I mean, she's, she really is in a in a corner, isn't she? I mean, backed up against the wall by the by the DUP, without which she, she couldn't survive in Westminster, by Dublin, by the EU27, her own hardliners, the other UK regions. I mean, whatever way she turns, she's stymied, isn't she? Yes, she's a very lonely <laughs> figure. Um... I think a lot of people have sympathy for her. Uh, This is an impossible task she's been asked to do. I think looking on the bright side, perhaps the only silver lining to all this is that it has finally called time on this ludicrous cake-and-eat-it fiction, Mm. this idea that um, you can fudge the the tension between market access and sovereignty. Um, Northern Ireland is just one example of why you can't, but it's brought that home very starkly. Mm. And maybe, just maybe, the bullshit will stop, to excuse my French. I mean, (laughs) this is perhaps just the the, the final straw, the final reckoning that you can't just kind of fudge your way out of these problems. Mm. Maybe we'll be having, we'll have a serious conversation at cabinet level, or supposedly hasn't even happened yet, but maybe we'll have a conversation at cabinet level about this trade-off between sovereignty and market access. Maybe the question of EFTA membership, the Norway option, single market customs union, will return to the table um, in Britain as as unpalatable as that might be. And maybe the government will have to change in order for that to all happen. I I think all of those things could well be positive developments that will flow from this. You really think that's my... I mean, mean, it does seem fairly clear, as you say, that the the, the underlying issue, it really is the attempt to fudge things that that really simply can't be fudged. And that, that, yeah, the only real way out of it is is for Britain to make up its mind about what it wants from its final relationship, you know, in or out of the customs union and the single market, basically. But that, you know, that decision has some very major consequences. Can I mean, can it, it, can it really be made in the next next in a matter of days? No, it's not going to happen by Friday. I mean, I think I would dispense with that fiction straight away. I've just written a piece, five reasons why it won't, why, why things don't get easier mm. by Friday. I think actually the events of this week have made a short-term deal much, much harder. The, the, the bluff's been called, the stakes have been raised, everybody's shown their cards. I'm running out of poker metaphors, but you get the gist. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I don't think we're going to turn this around rapidly. I mean, I may live to my words. I, but I think that the, that, that longer-term silver lining... It is interesting that May has basically acknowledged she's desperate to do a deal. The, the other fiction's gone out the window is that, we, that, that she's happy just to walk away with no deal. Mm. Um, she's already made a lot of concessions, the big one being money. I think they were pretty close on the ECJ as well. Um, and she was almost ready to throw Northern Ireland um, under the bus as well. So, I mean, this, these are the actions of a government that knows it really doesn't have an alternative. It cannot simply walk away without a deal. So if that is flushed out into the open, if, it, if, if, if she is prepared to kind of spell that out to her Brexit hardlines, you then have an almighty great big coalition lined up on one side of this argument. You have not only all of the, um, uh, the, 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 the Scotland, Wales, mm. Northern Ireland, London, Labour, um, a big swathe of the Tory party, all saying, look, guys, we've got to have a serious conversation about um, the single market and the customs union again. And um, yes, that may well trigger, that may well bring her government down. You know, that, that may well not be good enough for, what, 50, 80 Tory MPs who mm. just want Brexit at any cost. But they have always been in a minority in this parliament. Mm. And we've needed a moment to, to flush that mathematical weakness out. To kind of crystallise that. Yeah, I mean, because there is a, there's a very broad cross-party majority in, in, in parliament, clearly, isn't there, for a, yeah. for a, for a, a sort of a high, a high access, low sovereignty Brexit. Yeah, yeah.
the majority is there in Parliament. And I believe that the events of, all, of the last few months have also probably made clear that there's a, there's a majority there in the country as well for a softer Brexit. Mm. You know, I think that the people no longer believe the, the, the much of what the hard Brexiteers are saying. So, uh, you know, if, if, if the if fall of the government sparks a general election, that may also help crystallise things. So we, we're moving perhaps in the right direction. It just, I mean, in the very short term, though, given that there is this summit uh, on, on December the 14th and 15th, that, that you know, by by the beginning of next week, at the very latest, uh, the the uh, the documents, the sort of the, the draft declarations, uh, conclusions of the summit will be starting to be circulated around European capitals. How? What's the short term solution? Well, I mean fudge they will they will try and go back to that language see if they can tighten it without losing dublin see if they can convince um uh, the unionists that they didn't really mean uh, divergence from the uk you know i don't mm. think there was a proper attempt to sell this to the dup and i don't think there was a proper attempt to sell it more generally the, the british government have been remarkably silent there's been no spinning externally and one sounds like very little spinning internally mm. so they've got three or four days basically to kind of make the case they should have made before they got to brussels on monday um and, and perhaps they can calm arlene foster down perhaps they can convince her that that really this doesn't have that many practical um, implications um, but it's just it seems harder now than it did before because everybody's backs are up and that, mm. that's what makes me gloomy about whether they can turn it around in three days mm. Jennifer what do you think the EU are, are, are expecting and uh, Brussels and the, and, and the capitals I think that the, the, the sense is that it, um, it's still possible to do that deal they see that um, that Theresa May is in this horrendous domestic situation that she has that she really is hostage to her um to the 10 DUP MPs but um but the 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 mood is still that 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 deal is on the table and it's there to be done and I think it it really will all turn of course on on whether the DUP will come on on side and and this language uh, whether they it can be accepted this idea of continued um regulatory alignment and for, for people in in the EU, uh, for, for Ireland, this is exactly the same thing as as regulatory as no regulatory divergence, mm. and they're very comfortable with the language. But for um, but for British, the British government, they saw I think they saw some wiggle room there. They thought they could have this language of continued regulatory alignment mm. that suggested it meant uh, um, they could still that Northern Ireland could still be leaving the the single market. But I, I completely agree with with Dan that the, the big choice is still is still uh, confronting the British government that there is that choice to be made as to whether you want a, a close relationship with the, the EU mm. or whether you want something more distant that then implies um, um, this intractable problem of the Irish border mm. and uh, and that choice hasn't been been made yet. So So people in Brussels are really sort of waiting rather impatiently, I think, for the British government to, to spell out uh, what Brexit really means after all. Or waiting quite patiently. I mean, once again, time is being used, I think, quite skillfully by the EU um, here. That, that, that these these series of hurdles are there. They are real. I don't doubt the the, the timetable um, that we're up against. But they, they they're all um, putting the pressure on 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 May. I, I think um, many in Brussels will be quite willing to, to to wait and see how long this takes. I don't, I don't see they're getting everything they want at the moment. I don't see any 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 urgency really from their side. Maybe, mm. maybe that's being on fire.
Well, it, whatever, uh, it is going to be a, um, a highly interesting few days to come. Uh, that's it, uh, I'm afraid, for this week. Thank you very much, Dan and Jennifer, for joining us as ever. Uh, next time, as we should indeed have been doing this time, we'll be discussing tech and Brexit. Uh, please do subscribe, review on all your favourite podcatchers, join the discussion on Twitter. You just need to search for Guardian Podcasts. Till next week then, I'm John Henley. The producer was Rowan Slaney. This was Brexit Means, and thank you very much for listening. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts.